0: Welcome back to Brogan's Run. I'm Neil Brogan. Thanks so much again for tuning in. Uh, This is part two then of my conversation with the writer Wendy Erskine. And uh, this conversation was recorded last month just around the time of publication of Wendy's new short story collection, Dance Move. Um, So we're going to talk a wee bit more about Dance Move in this episode. A wee bit more about Wendy's background, how she got started writing stories. And we're also gonna speak about the playlist that Wendy has put together for these episodes. And you can find a link to that playlist in the show notes for today's show and uh, also in the podcast link tree. So let's jump in, this is Wendy Erskine. (laughs) To you another thing, I was going to ask you, which is about how the stories are sequenced in the books. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering mm-hmm. how much editorial control you have over stuff like that. Are you allowed to, you know, say, I want the stories to be in this order?
1: Yeah, 100% editorial control. So I'm published, um, so the, the way this book works is published in Ireland by Sting and Fly and then published by Picador in mm-hmm. the rest of the UK. And so Stay and Fly is basically um one guy called Declan Maid and um i think it gives you as much autonomy as you can possibly have basically um and so with sweet home i i ordered it myself and then um with this one did the order as well i mean it sounds like one of those things it's kind of like oh you know lady short story writer you know orders her latest collection of stories over a (laughs) a glass of some gorgeous wine in some beautiful room um but it, it didn't really work like that the first time around he just he just said right we need the order and I did it in tw- not it would be an exaggeration to say 20 minutes. I did it in 10 minutes. I just put post-its mm. and just thought right okay there we go that'll do um mm. because it's one of those things that you could deliberate over it for the rest of your life going oh what about moving this one here and what about that one and all the rest of it and in reality people like me I don't read short stories in the order that the that the person um has placed them I never read a I would never read a book of short stories the whole way through Um, in in that way. However, there are some principles and one of the principles would be like don't start off with something totally left field. You want to start off with a story that provides a person Mm -hmm. with a reasonable handle on what it is you're trying to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And like I'd also... I had also the idea that I wanted the final story of Sweet Home to be one that was fairly stoical. It was just about life needs to just continue on. And so I wanted the story that finished um, Dance Move to be the same, that it was going to be another mm-hmm. one that I thought thematically was quite similar to the final story of the um, of, of the first collection. Um, yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of like... You, you know, try, trying to kind of provide a bit of a bit of variation so that if somebody does want to read right through, that it's not going to be that you're duplicating kinds of particular sorts of characters or whatever. But I suppose, though, the main thing for me beyond the actual physical ordering is that uh, a collection is able to achieve a kind of a impact or some kind of it create some sort of meaning beyond the components, beyond that beyond the individual stories, that in some way that these all build together to produce something that's more than the sum of the whole. And I don't mean right. I don't mean oh that oh Mrs. So and so that was in one story appears again in the other story and they're, they're all connected no. up like that. You can no. do that. It's a kind of an artifice to do that a lot of the time. Maybe people like uh, yeah. I don't particularly but it's uh, it's that the reading experience and the way the stories speak to each other Regard, regardless of how you order them, that the stories in mm-hmm. some way speak to each other. But having said that, right, I also think as well that reading a short story collection is a very, is a difficult and demanding thing. You need to recalibrate into a different world. It's difficult. I understand why some people just don't like it. I mean, even in mine, which is mm-hmm. something is quite geographically circumscribed. Even with mine, you're having to recalibrate to different worlds, to different sorts of microcosms each time you start a new story. So you're basically back at square one each time. And I can understand yeah. how some people find that. Some people find that wonderful, but some people find that quite quite difficult.
0: Well, you see, this is another thing I was going to ask you about, is the way your stories are all based in a sort of fixed locality, which is generally... Belfast but mostly Northern Ireland anyway would you agree with that mm-hmm. it's just basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Belfast mm-hmm. even even more mm-hmm. specifically East Belfast quite a lot of those stories mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the stories all take place kind of within that locality so when yep. you're reading if as I just did and I agree I don't normally do this I don't normally read a short story collection all in one go mm-hmm. um, but I, as I just have it's kind of I don't know if you'll agree with this, having what you've just said, but it's kind of, in a way, like this episodic, almost novelistic thing, because it's all in the one place, but none of these people have mm-hmm. anything to do with each other. Um, mm-hmm. So, And there's not that artifice of having people pop up in different stories and recurring characters mm-hmm. and stuff, but there's a connection there, and it's the place is the connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when you read it that way, you notice that more, I think. And, um, let mm-hmm. just to go back to sequencing of stuff. It's kind of like, it reminds me or makes me think of, you know, album sequencing. Quite often people will listen mm-hmm. to a full album or whatever, but the way one song mm-hmm. plays into mm-hmm. another song is quite important. So if you, mm-hmm. I like the way in, in, in both your books, you'll have a story that ends in a certain way and you do have to recalibrate. But, Sometimes mm-hmm. it sort of one plays into another really nicely. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And
1: mm-hmm. sometimes the contrast
0: mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. useful as well.
1: Would you always listen to albums? Like, would you always listen to albums the whole, the whole way through? Would you skip tracks and so on?
0: No, I'm not a purist about stuff like that. Um, the way I listen to music mm-hmm. now is like everybody else. I just listen randomly to whatever an algorithm is pumping out, you know, and in a, it's quite passive, you know. I'll quite often just let it Mm -hmm. guide me. Um, But growing up, yeah, I would have been more purist and I would have listened to albums from start to finish and stuff. And Mm -hmm. um, I just think, yeah, when you do read a short story collection like that, you you pick up on a world. And it kind of reminds me again, not to go on about Raymond Carver, but it reminds me a bit of um, not so much his books but you know like shortcuts the robert Altman film where all this stuff's happening in la to all these different people um they've kind of transposed his his world to all this all these characters that happen to be in la but yeah they're all kind of related in some way because of you know how how it's been Mm -hmm. written there's this kind of quality Mm -hmm. to the characters that makes them relate in that place you know
1: i kind of think that you know you do have a world there you know you you have a you have a actual physical world a locale and you know people are shaped to to a, a lesser or larger degree by where they are um and you can see that these characters have um these characters have basically many of them been influenced by the place where they're from and where and where they live but i kind of think i do actually think this even if i was writing about america even if i decided the next collection is um going to be set somewhere in the states or if i decided that the next collection is going to be set in glasgow right what you're getting is my world right what you're getting is my world in the sense it's my worldview my sensibility and that's kind of more fundamentally for me what links Mm -hmm. What links the characters and what makes the story similar. It's my way of perceiving how life is. Um, and some people might right. like that and some people some people might might not. Um, but ultimately that's the thing that makes these stories my stories. It's it's not gonna be that they're set in a particular place um because then yeah. it just becomes a kind of like local color literature oh yeah there's the woman that writes with east belfast and oh i know the beauty challenge uh-huh. talking about Um, it, it's it's something that's kind of more than that in the sense that the world that you're getting is is my world it's that it's that idea that you know in terms of creative writing, you know, you can teach, you can teach people su- such a lot in, in terms of creative writing. I feel that like I've benefited from that myself because, you know, I wouldn't be anywhere yeah. if I hadn't attended a Sting and Fly course. But what you can't give people is a worldview. You can't give people a particular sensibility. That needs to come from them. And that's why you read me as opposed to somebody else, or that's why you read somebody else as opposed to me, because, What it is I'm saying about the world and how people are and how things operate is hopefully, you know, distinctive. And I think that's the thing that binds the stories. And that's the thing that even if I moved to write about people living somewhere else, I would still be, you know, it's just the way I look at things.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you then as well about that writing course you did with Sting and Fly. Um, How many years ago was that? That you did that? That I was too
1: gosh, it seems like not that long ago, but it was years ago. It was 2015. 2015 to to, 2015 to 2016. September to about April or so, yeah. And
0: so uh so for people who don't know that you basically attended this course uh, you had a bit of time off from work.
1: Yeah, so I had one afternoon a week, Monday Monday afternoon off, and uh, I just noticed that Sting and Fly. I knew about Sting and Fly; like I'd read some of their books, and I knew that really good Dublin publisher, and they were running this course. It was like two and a half hours on a Monday on a Monday evening, and so yeah, that's what uh-huh. I, that's what I did. Yeah,
0: and obviously that kind of changed everything. But before you did that course, had you? I know you were doing a music blog at one point and I've read that you might have written a longer form thing when you were a bit younger.
1: Yeah, I did. So I did this thing called Blue Lamp Disco, which would have been about 2010 and I would have done that for about two years and that was more sort of, it was music-based and bit Mm -hmm. literature-based, just a bit having fun, basically. A lot of it was just taking photographs. You know, I'd do some bit of writing and pretend that it was like, Brian Wilson's wife and do something or other <laughs> written about the Beach Boys, but it just daft stuff to be honest, you know? Or else dressing yeah. up. But dressed up as you know that Captain Captain Beef Heart cover, you know, I sort of did, did different covers and so on of albums using just things in the kitchen and um <laughs> you know, some people not not that many people ever looked at it, but it was kind of like a creative a creative avenue and that was me probably just gearing up thinking yeah there's something I could probably I could probably do but I didn't really I didn't really know I didn't really know what you know
0: and So. so you hadn't really been writing stories then before you started No, decorced. not stories,
1: and I actually thought the short story just sounded so dreadful, the way people talked about it. I just found it really off-putting and quite unpleasant. Um, so I, I'd never really tried to write short stories at all. I'd, I tried to write, I lived in Newcastle by myself in 1993, so I lived in Glasgow for years, and then I moved to newcastle upon Tyne. I was just living on my own, and right. I wrote a novel when I was there, and it was just like embarrassingly bad, um, and so just I sent it off to a couple of places, but people were just like, Yeah, it's not very good. And I was like, Yeah, no, it's not very good. But having said that, right, I still had had a pen drive with a tiny little bit of it on it. Mm-hmm. And it's not really very different to what I, I write now. So um fundamentally it was still the same sort of was still the same sort of stuff. It's not like what I was writing in the past was some sort of like um, you know, sort of sci-fi thing and then I changed to do this it was more or less the same sort of thing
0: so I guess one of the things I wanted to ask was for anybody listening to this who might be somebody who's you know written the odd thing and then Mm -hmm. dropped it and sort of forgotten about it I mean what did Mm -hmm. you get from that course was there some one big takeaway from it that you know you still think of what you still use now like was there was a one thing that really stayed with you or was it just a lot of things you learned on that course
1: one of the things that one of the things were yeah there was loads of things there were absolutely there were absolutely loads of things um one of them was the whole idea of like you need to write in scenes so even if even if you um don't go inside people's heads all that much um you know all the time you're inside somebody's head, nothing's happening. Um and so right. I try to avoid I try to avoid that. Um, try to write in scenes if you can. Um always cut a, always go in later than you think. In terms of sort of incision and in time where you start a story, always go in way later than you initially think you, you need you need to. So don't have these big preambles. So there was there was, uh, yeah, there was just, there was just so, there was just so much. But like, I would have to say as well, though, you know, that my life hasn't really changed fundamentally at all um, mm-hmm. as a result of 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 writing these uh, of writing these books. You know, sometimes it's, a, and again, I, I only speak for myself, and I really have to always preface everything I say with this that nobody should draw any big precepts from anything that I do or anything that I say. But yeah. ultimately. Ultimately, nothing much has changed. You know, I still do the same job. Um, I still, uh, you know, more more or less, things are absolutely um, as was. You know,
0: right. But you've got this whole other. Um, you've yeah, your life is is essentially the same in many fundamental ways. But you've also now got this other thing in your life which wasn't there before, mm-hmm. and which is, mm-hmm. I'm sure, very you know rewarding and and fun just to have that in your life you know and maybe something you weren't really expecting um to come along yeah no um, I wasn't
1: expect. I wasn't yeah it is it's, to- it's it is it's it's real it's really really um it's really really rewarding it's really really fun I've ended up meeting just loads of loads of really interesting people that I was just never would have never would have encountered um And yeah, it was totally unexpected because that course, the one they was talking about there, the guy's in charge of the course called Sean O'Reilly and his whole, it was just basically right. So you're writing like this. Let's see if we can get you to write better. There was no focus Mm. on, oh, let's all try to get published. Let's all try to get something in the Dublin review next month or whatever. It wasn't like that. It was just, let's try and make the writing way better than it is. And so I had no expectation of ever getting published whatsoever. And, um, you know, all of all of that really was was just really great. And it was it was a it was a surprise. And, you know, I always kind of say to people, you know, don't be don't be don't be too worried too early on about trying to get something published. And of course, people yeah. will say, oh, well, that's OK for you. It's easy to say that if you have been published. And, you know, of course, everybody needs everybody needs some validation. It's very difficult to keep going if nobody anywhere is um is interested you know but at uh-huh. the same time um it takes a while unless you're geniusly unless you're genius unless you're terribly talented you know it's going to take you a while to work out what it is you want to you want to do
0: yeah and that's it and people you might not want to be published too early in case you end up being kind of embarrassed by, by something that you've written that uh maybe you didn't want out there
1: yeah and i mean people yeah and i mean people people change as as well and you know the things that are your concerns possibly when you're in your 20s aren't necessarily going to be the things that are concerning you you know in you know when you're in your 30s or your or your 40s or or whatever um Mm -hmm. but it's just kind of like you know to use a music analogy, you know, somebody buys a guitar and they kind of don't think that you know, the week after they bought the guitar, that they're necessarily going to be you know able to record something that's going to be a hit. You know that there's a pleasure. <laughs> what I mean is, if you if you buy a guitar, there's a pleasure in learning the guitar. You know, you yeah. You, yeah. you think of all the hours someone will spend practicing. The guitar learning new chords looking at various different combinations of things and that in itself is even if you've got no endpoint, even if you if you don't think even if you're just doing it by yourself and you have no no goal of you know making music anywhere with anybody there's still a pleasure in kind of learning that instrument and Writing is kind of like that to a point too as well, where there's a there's yeah. a pleasure in just reading other people's stuff and writing your own stuff and scrutinizing it and um, trying to work out what it is that you want to you want to do. Not yeah. maybe forever, you know. It is yeah. you know, if you if you play the guitar, it's probably nice for somebody else to listen to it at some point in the same way. If you're writing it's nice, it's good for somebody else to, to read it and to get something from it. But you know, People needn't feel too much under pressure. There's something really enjoyable about just learning how to how to, how to to write.
0: Right, yeah. It's just the process of learning that is mm-hmm. valid in itself, apart from any metric of success.
1: Totally. P- people that say, oh, look, I hate writing. I hate writing. You know, I don't really enjoy it. But if you're compelled to do it and all this, I, I don't really understand that because I kind of think if you don't enjoy it, don't do it. You know, there's so yeah, there's so much yeah. else you could you could
0: do. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I guess we should get back to your playlist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, do. Okay. So
0: the second track you've picked here, Frankie Knuckles your love. Um mm-hmm. so is that more just that's just a you know Chicago house classic?
1: I suppose there's different there's different ways that people can use can use music in in um in in books just generally. And sometimes I get really annoyed with with it the way people do it and I think it's a, a total shortcut to atmosphere it's a total shortcut yeah. to trying to make somebody look cool or, or whatever uh, it often totally turns me off a writer yeah. whenever they don't yeah. use music very well but in this story um, his mother, a guy kills mm. himself, it's not a spoiler to say that um, and mm. at his funeral they play Frankie Knuckles, Your Love because that was one of his favourite um, one of his favourite tunes Um, that's right yes that's right yeah and and the reason i liked it because it was kind of like um it was something that he liked it gave people a little bit of an idea of the type of person that he maybe was um and also Mm. as well at the funeral it caused a bit of sort of discomfort for his mother because it was sort of this puffing and panting in it that was kind of bit sexual <laughs> and his mother wondered if it was appropriate for a funeral and you know that's yeah. the kind of thing that's the kind of comp that's the kind of what we're saying before but Kind of building in some kind of complication in, into things, you know. Mm-hmm. That um, it was his favorite song, but there's also all of this about the about the funeral, and it it's just a it's just I what I'm hoping to do with music is as much as possible make it part of the fabric of people's it's the fabric of people's existence, it's the fabric of people's lives, um, yeah. Rather than something that's just dropped in there awkwardly to try and you know create this shortcut, you know. To a coolness yeah. atmosphere or whatever so that's what that
0: one is that kind of reminds me of a english teacher i had i remember him trying to make me put put like songs i remember i i can't remember what it was about it was like some kind of creative writing essay we had to do and he was like you need to put in you know mentioned you're into music mentioned some bands mentioned and he tried to make me like refer to a song in a story or something and i really resisted it i really hated doing it because i just thought it was so naff you know like to actually refer specifically to and uh, to the lyrics of it and stuff but he was like no that'll really improve it um but the way you've used that song in that story is great because it just creates this um it immediately evokes the atmosphere of that of that moment and the sadness of it but also the total, the kind of inappropriateness of the song but also the fact that it is appropriate to him but maybe and the confusion it causes his parents and stuff you know so used used well it's it's brilliant you know
1: yeah well i um, i 100% agree with the young you uh, 100% and that's, this was a time when i was kind of breaking my, my own rule a little bit but if you thought it worked now <laughs> that is good that is great
0: and then we've got uh, suicide Johnny.
1: Yeah. So for sure, that, that was making me feel. And again, this isn't stuff. This isn't stuff that I was listening to whenever I was. Um, it's not that I was listening to this necessarily whenever I was actually writing the stories. But this one really mm. reminds me of Buildings Roman. And it's not like I was going right get into the zone with Buildings Roman and Lee by listening to this. But this yeah. just makes me. This is just so teenage to me, and it's so kind of. I know it's not 50s America but it's got totally that kind of vibe. And so for me that's just totally the sort of buildings romance song where you've got this kind of this kind of young man interested in women and fast cars and all the rest of it in that kind of really yeah. American 1950s 1950s way. But because right. it sort of also sounds kind of that kind of repetitive, sort of slightly industrialish sort of feel—it just fitted in mm-hmm. with, for me with that whole factory idea where he is, and right, sort of yeah. haunting, haunting. I suppose to say there's a sort of like haunting quality too, all that echo and yeah. stuff. So it just embodies for me that particular that particular song.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, I can totally see how that marries up with that character in that place um just him being in that factory yeah i really like that story as well i don't know why that one resonated so much but it just sort of reminded me of like having to do work experience and stuff
1: and (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and not people just people they just like oh god another work experience person and for for them you're just like a total hindrance and they can have a laugh at your expense and so on yeah
0: Totally, totally. I kind
1: of like as well that story because a, a lot of the time, one of my wee things that I like is people people making connections with other people in an unexpected way. So you could throw Max there but you've also got yeah. buildings Roman where you've got the two characters there and the, the, mm-hmm. there's there's a connection there and it's between two yeah. people that we'd never have thought there could be a connection.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of your stories Same. have these interactions with different generations and people in different kind of social uh tiers where you've got people who are maybe a bit better off and people who aren't so well off mm-hmm. who are meeting uh in strange circumstances or in, in very ordinary circumstances mm-hmm. usually
1: mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. what happens mm-hmm.
0: from the, the kind of you know the products of those uh, those encounters between people yeah and a lot of the stories are about parents as well i noticed that like about mothers um you know mm-hmm. there's usually a character in there who's a mum. Or there's a parent Mm -hmm.
1: in there? It's just some people that interest me and not. You know, I've never written a story about a young female graduate. Do you know what I mean? A a woman in her 20s, a young... Do you know what I mean? A a woman doing a postgrad, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never written about somebody like that um, because there's plenty of other people write about people like that. And so far, it's not really... I've not really... It's not really grab me the whole idea of me writing about people like that. So there, there'll be some characters that I'm just drawn to that I find more interesting um, than than that particular. You know, I don't think of any story. Well, I did I suppose Carol's like that at, at one point, but you know, I find her probably more interesting um later
0: on. That story building's room. Just just as an example, like where do those characters come from? Are you are you just literally? you know you notice somebody in the street and you start thinking about them and imagining a story for them or like just for instance that story like Lee where did where did that character come from
1: that character that character Lee um he didn't arrive first it was actually the woman arrived first you know and i i had I, I'm saying they're arrived right because even though I know I'm making all these people up it is almost as if they come to you and you can't really force it and I could decide I want to write about such and such a person but it doesn't really it doesn't really work that way so mm-hmm. I'd read a story about a woman in Liverpool who had been um, given a gun to store um, for some someone in Liverpool and um, she had felt she had just felt so guilty about this and so kind of freaked by it. she told the police, and she ended up being jailed and to me, it just seemed just such a sad and awful story. So I'd read right. about that and read and right. and and that made me think of a woman like that, and I was kind of thinking um I wonder if there was anybody she could have confided in. Because that's also a thing that goes across sweet home as well, the idea of knowing things or, or feeling a certain way and not having anybody that you can that you can tell. Um the sort uh-huh. of loneliness of knowledge, I suppose. Um Right and so I kind of thought, let's who would be totally unlikely? Teenage boy, right? And so I sort of thought a teenage boy would be totally unlikely, and I just started thinking and I just started thinking and thinking about avoid doing work experience and yeah it was it was just sort of thinking about the sorts of things that he might be he might be interested in and then it's just started started coming together yeah
0: yeah a character who's kind of in stark contrast to the other character
1: yeah Um, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so right next we've got don williams um i recall a gypsy (laughs) woman (laughs) i'm a big fan of don williams um
1: are you? So, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, he's, he's there in the background sometimes, but if you need, he's almost like some kind of like Valium or something, you know, he just, he's just so insanely soothing. His voice is just so soothing. My wife years ago worked in, um, it was like a, it was on Sandy Row. This was a long time ago. Like it was like a daycare facility for like older people, vulnerable people. And she, I remember that's when I kind of got into him because she brought home a CD from there one time of, uh, of Don Williams and, you know, because she just said they just listen to this all the time. <laughs> like
1: Yeah, that's so, that's so interesting. You know, like, I suppose Don Don Williams isn't really regarded as, like, people in this house listen to country music a lot of the time, but they listen to more the sort of cool end of country yeah, and, yeah. you know, Bakersfield and all the rest of it. But I can just remember as a kid, really clearly, um, they listened to this, just you know, like there was like downtown charts, and there was like downtown country. Well, it still is downtown country, but I remember this right. was at number one for such a long, for such a long time, and I don't know yeah. what age I would have been—not all that, not all that old—but I can remember just listening to the words of it, and I remember, I suppose, like like a lot of country songs, it's like an, it's like a narrative, it's like a really beautiful self-contained narrative here. Um, yeah. And the idea of this this guy who um, is lying with his wife and um, in bed at night, and his children are asleep, but all the time he's thinking back to this to this woman that he encountered when he was sixteen, and that <laughs> the others around him are totally oblivious to this. I, I was right. only a little kid, but I remember thinking, "Gosh, I'm getting a peek into adulthood here." I mean, I can really remember thinking that that oh, this mm. is this is the way it is, and you know this adult this guy is lying there and his wife doesn't have a clue because he's thinking all the time about this other this other lady. Um, and so I can just I can just remember it re- made a big impression on me and so I kind of just knew that, that 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 basic that basically Gloria and Max is gypsy woman you know Don Williams. Right written but instead it's a lecturer in you know slavic cinema um and he's thinking not of a gypsy woman but of a a a woman who works in a care home who was deeply unglamorous and he actually felt fairly disdainful towards that's who haunts him in the way that don williams is haunted by the gypsy by the gypsy woman so yeah (laughs) right that was that one
0: that's amazing that's amazing um so then we've got Sylvester and Patrick Coyley, Do You Wanna Funk? Um, another absolute classic. There's
1: no way you could keep still when you hear this. And do you know what I wanted, Neil? Right? I had wanted, you know, the epigraph of the book. I had asked that it we would have do you want to funk as um <laughs> as the epigraph, right? right? Um and they hadn't they weren't able to they weren't able to do that because um it was uh it was gonna to be too expensive, or you know the, I don't know well, I think that's it too expensive, um okay, so um for the rights for it or whatever, so it was gonna be William Blake about you know joy and woe being woven fine, and then right. Sylvester, do you want to funk so that wasn't that wasn't allowed. um, but I just think it's such a brilliant record, and of course it's called dance Move, the whole collection, and it's it's yeah. uh. Dance, dance, move. Um, you know, it's a story that's about dance. A lot of it is just about people. Yeah. It's about people dancing and the joy that they get from dancing as well. But dance also in that story is a bit of a metaphor as well for the opposite. Um, well, it's not a metaphor for the opposite. There's people who can dance, but also as well, the central character is t- to like total paralysis, and it's about literal yeah. met- paralysis, metaphorical paralysis and so that's why um but, but it, there's also dance, and it across across the short stories there's quite a lot of times whenever dance is used to describe mm-hmm. people's awkwardness or people not fitting in feeling that they can't mm-hmm. move like carol can't sort of discern a beat at all in um yeah. in her in her story whenever she goes dancing but yeah mm-hmm. something else like um Secrets Bonita you know the guy Richie when he's on the dance floor he's just so fluid and elegant and all, and all the rest of it so um, yeah I yeah, basically just chose this Sylvester Patrick Crowley thing because this it's called dance move and dance yeah. is really important
0: yeah and that story dance move that's another a really that's another one with a kind of parent child relationship um, mm-hmm. so the mum is kind of struggling to deal with her daughters kind of, you know, growing up and starting to express herself sexually mm-hmm. and stuff. And, um, the mom is feeling a lot more repressed, but then she, so the daughter's kind of dancing and gyrating outside, yep. uh, with her mm-hmm. friend. And then she's mm-hmm. inside, uh, watching these YouTube videos of people doing like salsa dancing and stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, um, it, it very eloquently, kind of captures that weird awkwardness of that mm-hmm. stage i suppose between mm-hmm. two generations like that you know and she's yeah. kind of is she like jealous of her daughter or yeah, is I she think she's
1: je- I, I think she's jealous you she know you get that you get that yeah this was a story where i kind of thought nee, there's a lot of things swirling around here and i'm not I know there's a lot of things swirling around and I've not massively thought through the implications of every single one of them, but I'm happy that there's a lot of things swirling around and that people can <laughs> people can take from this what they will. So yeah. So she sees her daughter dancing and her friend dancing that Cardi B thing. And mm. um she's very, she very doesn't doesn't really like it. Um, is as you say alarmed at her at her daughter's kind of the sort of like I don't know, the sort of physicality of her daughter, she doesn't she doesn't like it, but at the same right. time she's kind of quite quite jealous. Um and it kind of moves then it's about kind of it's about kind of sexual repression in a yeah. sense, but it also then moves to be about something else. It's also about trying to protect, but it's also yeah. as well about, you know, her own inability to kind of be the person that she would maybe have liked to have been because of the family circumstances um, that were all to do with caution, I suppose you would say, whenever she was, whenever she was, she was younger, you know, it's kind of, it's really nice, you know, your stories going out into the world because in a sense, other people talk to you about them and they kind of reveal meanings and significances that um, you never really had maybe thought yourself you know and the first time anybody taught me about this story i actually read the audiobook for picador so i recorded the audiobook at start together studios and the guy Uh niall who was studio engineer you know he was talking about that story and saying about how he he thought it was he had started off thinking it was about one thing but then it moved to be about something else and i think hopefully that's the way that story operates it kind of shifts in terms Mm -hmm. of its meanings as you continue
0: I suppose this just reminds me to ask you about the covers of the two books, the Picador cover and mm-hmm. the Sting and Fly cover. Mm-hmm. Um, did did you like? Are you allowed to, you know, choose your book covers, or how does that work as an author?
1: Well, again, I don't. I don't know how it works for other people, but all I can say is basically how it works. How it works for for me. So, and um, Picador is obviously a kind of. It's a really big, big, big. It's, it's like an imprint. So Picador is an imprint of Pan Macmillan. So yeah, um, it's part of a, a big organisation with a big art department and and so on. And what yeah. they did was they sent me lots and lots of of they sent me lots of different um, images that they were considering using for the using for the cover. And mm-hmm. they also were happy for me to suggest images that I might think be appropriate and that was one of the ones that i suggested and i kind of liked it because i just found it on the internet you know um and it was just like a disco ball so it's kind of quite glam but at the same time it's right next to a radiator that's kind of quite dusty and old looking and that juxtaposition just just worked but picador you know i would have to say were absolutely excellent in terms of you know consulting me and letting me come up with the um coming up with the the ideas and then with with Sting and Fly because it's a in a sense it's it's two totally different publishing companies um Sting and Sting and Fly then um they have a sort of tradition of um using um Irish artists on their covers and Mm -hmm. so Alice Maher had They'd used Alice Maher for Nicole Flattery's book, which was a great short story collection, and also Claire Louise Bennett had also had a um, Alice Maher cover, and um, we knew we wanted something to do with to do with dance. And um, Declan had contacted Alice Maher, and we thought we'll use one of these um, woodcuts. So these are part of a series. There's there's a number of them, right. and again, I got to choose which which one I liked the best, and um, it was this one. And so, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I was, for both, for Picador and for Sting and Fly, they couldn't have been better in terms of the amount of say that they, um, yeah. that they gave great. me, you know.
0: I've always just wondered about how much input, you know, authors have um, over book covers. And the other thing I like about book covers is that they change with editions, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. unlike record sleeves, which always stay the same, book covers change. And I suppose as the book is republished and stuff, you know, they'll consult you. <laughs> I guess I—I I don't know.
1: Yeah, so yeah, they will. They they will consult me, and all that'll be that'll be great. One of the things that's really nice is that even the Picador one's very stark. So they've got the wee, they've got yeah. the John McGregor quote in the front, but that's it. And then the the sting and fly one has got no quotes, it's got no blurbs, which so are really really clean looking front cover, yes, just the image, yeah, sometimes as these things continue as you know it'll end up they'll end up putting quotes in the front, you know hot press or said this or you know time yeah. said this or whatever, and it becomes then the cover becomes i mean obviously they they need to do that, and it, it, it must have some sort of financial payback or they, or they wouldn't, whereas that album cover always stays pure. You know, mm. um, mm-hmm. of course, you can have the sticker put on it, you can peel, peel the sticker off, but the album right. cover is yeah. always going to be the album cover and it's always going to look the way it looks. Whereas yeah. with the book, it can become a very commercial thing where you just have mm-hmm. all this crap basically stuck all over it to try to right. get punters to buy it, um, which right. sometimes can't is not so good, but maybe financially, mm-hmm. um, a necessity,
0: yeah. Yeah, um, cool. So the last one we have here, I'm Only Dreaming by The Small Faces.
1: Yeah, it's one of my favourite songs from The Small Faces and it's also as well one of my favourite videos ever. Um, right. I love it, I love it. Um, there's, a, there's a great video where um, he refuses, Steve Marriott refuses to lip sync and so um, he just he just messes about. I just find him such an endearing character, and he just messes about, dicks about, really. And um, mm. whenever they're trying to whenever they're trying to record this, mm. um, and so uh, what I was thinking about was I was thinking about Secrets Bonita Beach, um, and I was thinking about um, and again. Again, this is—I would never sort of sit down and go, "Okay, I'm listening to this music to psych myself up here." But afterwards, mm-hmm. I can kind of think that. I mean, suppose when you write, what you're bringing to bear are on, on your own writing are all the books you've ever read, all the films you've ever seen, all the music you've ever listened to. Um, and so I kind of thought later about how the character Richie is so like the the is so like the figure in this song. In the sense that like Richie's an old mod anyway, and that's kind of mentioned that he's like an old yes. mod and he dances yep. a certain way and he wears certain clothes. But it's mm-hmm. that whole the whole sentiment of this as well, where mm-hmm. it's kind of you know what's 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 the point? Um, you know, he he wants to get he wants to get back with a person, but the person isn't really gonna want to get back with him and it's also right. as well the sentiment of that of that story. Richie's the character of Richie's probably one because Rich, Richie again is one of these people. It's kind of a concordia place that Richie has been. And it's basically destroyed him and he's not able to have a relationship. And his wife yeah. his ex-wife loves him but can't help him really. And so mm-hmm. Richie is probably one of my favourite characters I've ever written. And um, right. and this this story is um or this song almost as if he's singing I can nearly hear it as if he's singing it.
0: Yeah. And he, but he's kind of absent from the story in real time. He's mm-hmm. being remembered.
1: Yeah, that's right. He's totally absent. And there's almost like a, a version of him and the young man that presents himself quite near the end of the story is almost like a version of Richie, like a young version of somebody right. like him. And yes, she makes right. the decision to just like not go down that route. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So, that would be an example, Neil, of like one of the stories where maybe in my first draft, there was a lot of present present day, Richie. There was a lot right. of stuff. And then that just gets cut down and cut down and cut down. So, yeah.
0: Just so you mentioned Steve Marriott there. That
1: mm-hmm. brings
0: me to Gil Courtney because he pops up in that story.
1: <laughs> That's right. You know the stuff so well, honestly. Sometimes it's just because I've just read, read it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. I always I always knew, I always knew if I was gonna write a book that I'd want to get Steve Married into it. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, do you know what that do you know what that actually came from actually? Um I'd read a thing about um I'd read a thing about Gordon Gordon a writer rather really like and Gordon yeah. Byrne was Eric Burden's Eric Burden Gordon Burden's cousin. And I remember reading one of the music mags about how whenever people used to stay, whenever people used to be touring Newcastle, be touring and they were in Newcastle, they would stay with Eric Burden's mum. And there would be people like Jimi Hendrix and people like that that would be staying at Eric Burden's mum's house. And I just kind of imagined Gil Courtney's mum as as like that and imagined it would be fun to have staying with you. And I just think. Steve Marriott would have been a lot of fun to have STEM with you, and I and I knew about how he had been in, you know, Oliver and stuff as a kid, and yes. I just I just imagined that whole that whole scenario, yeah,
0: yeah. And they live in Tildark Street, which I lived on for a while, so it was kind of nice Did to see Dark Street very briefly, Did, yeah, but yeah. more than ten years ago, lived there briefly, really? but I don't yeah. think it had. I think it's like number, I think the number in the book. Doesn't exist because I don't think it's. That it doesn't big. you're
1: hundred percent right. It doesn't exist. It, I deliberately I like, picked that? a number that didn't exist, and then yeah. you know the Gil Courtney thing was funny because a lot of people thought it was true. Um, yes, yeah. and that that's kind of fun. That's kind of flattering in some ways, and kind of fun. And mm-hmm. you know, there's all sorts of things you can say about that. But I remember some people said. Um, you know, somebody said to me, it was so funny. They said, um, I went to Tildark Street to say, to see where he lived and it and it, and it, <laughs> it wasn't there. And I said, No, that's because I made it up. Um, and the person said, But do you not think it would have been a good idea for people could have, so people could have seen where he lived? I just thought, <laughs> He didn't live there because he, he didn't exist. You know, so there was a lot of that. It was quite funny. It was quite funny at the
0: time. That is funny. Um, mm. But it's all that story, it's like almost like, he may as well have existed because mm. it's just, um, there's just so much to that, the way it's done that um, it evokes all these other people, obviously, but it's like this the, the biography that it creates is so almost, it's so real that it's mm-hmm. like, it's very believable. That character mm-hmm. is totally believable mm-hmm. um, and the way it's done, you know? Um, but anyway, yeah, I think, i've asked you I, mean, I, I haven't done this in the way i was intended to at all i was kind of hoping to just go through this in a kind of kind of linear way but we've actually just gone all over the place and it's i think it's been really interesting and it's great it's been so abso- honestly,
1: it's been absolutely brilliant i've loved it i really have it's, well, it's felt like so a much. conversation as opposed yeah. to somebody with a bit of paper asking you questions <laughs>
0: much again to wendy erskine for taking the time to speak to me um said this last week but i'll say it again it was um, a real privilege to speak to wendy and for her to take the time to speak to me about all this stuff for so long was really cool so again thank you wendy and i highly recommend buying dance move if you haven't bought it already um do read it it is great and um, i also recommend Um, listening to the previous episodes of this podcast if you're interested in music uh, do check it out if you haven't already and finally I would just add my usual plea to please leave a rating or review if you possibly have a few seconds it could make a difference uh, in terms of the reach of the podcast and it might encourage me to make a few more episodes so do uh, please do that if you have a second or two to spare And that about wraps it up for now. So thanks for listening and take care. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.